Thanks. Good morning. Well, we're continuing or starting or in this series called Life of Adventure. And if you pull out your outline, you'll see that. And if you need a Bible, we have them on the sides here. Feel free. We're going to have some scripture in your outline, some behind me on the screen. But if you'd like a Bible and you don't even own one, just keep this thing. Just take it home with you and write your name in it and make it yours. Um, I, I am in a little bit of a season of adventure myself. Uh, it feels like a whirlwind. This past week, I, I tried to be a part of this Catalyst Conference because it was so exciting. It was really fun. Um, but I had other stuff going on. I was preparing for this message. I was doing some other things. My parents, of all times, were in town, and I had to like, pick them up from the airport and shuttle them and have meals with them. Otherwise, you get the mom calls like, oh, it's really too bad we didn't get to see you, right? You know what I'm talking about. You got to do some of that. And, and I love it. I love being with my parents. Also... I taught last night at the Mission Viejo campus. So for the first time, doing like a dual campus thing, uh, it was really interesting and really fun. So uh, that was exciting. I also did uh, a volleyball tournament all, you know, half the day yesterday, two blocks down, is it Goddard or Gothard? uh, Gothard, right? I always mix that up. There's a Goddard in my old town. Gothard, two blocks. Do you know where that big warehouse is? You see all the tents out there all the time. Yeah, that was me yesterday coaching this team. And so that was fun. And my wife is with Kevin's family in Orlando, and we leave straight from here, go straight to the airport, and we're going to visit and check out some other cool churches that do this kind of multi-campus thing and see what we can learn from them. So it's an adventure right now. It feels feels a little bit crazy, but I'm really excited to be here with you this morning, and I feel really, truly, genuinely that God has something to say to us this morning. Because wherever you are on your life's adventure, you likely have experienced or you will experience seasons when the adventure doesn't seem so great, seasons when even God himself feels like he has withdrawn his presence, like he is hiding from you, or like he is gone silent. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, this, this interesting reality that the God of the universe who is in every living thing and who is all around us in creation, and who is omnipresent, could somehow still feel like he's not there. And we pray, and he promises to respond, and and he promises that he hears our prayers, and yet we just feel like they're hitting a ceiling. Maybe you can relate to one of these three real characters that I either have been or that I know in my life. One is this woman who, who met Jesus on this, like, camp high mountaintop experience, right? Have you heard language like that? She, so she didn't grow up in a family that went to church or had any kind of faith, but when she met him in high school, it was just like, this is the deal. This is beyond a shadow of a doubt. God spoke to me. I know he's real. I am following him. And it was this radical transformation. She just turned from her whole life, from her old life, and started pursuing him in this new life. She was praying. He was listening. He was responding. He was directing. She was going down this path. Everything was going, going perfectly. Relationships were coming together. Relationship with a, a strange parent was working out again. Just all this great stuff, and she just couldn't be more thrilled about her journey with Jesus. And then a couple years later in college, it was like it came to a screeching halt. Prayed the same prayers, didn't get the same responses. Stuff started to go wrong. And she was like, where are you, God? I, feel, I, know, I know that you spoke to me. You're not speaking to me now. And then a season went by, a matter of a few years, and she began to even question whether God speaks 
or maybe you have some kind of connection to uh, my brother, my, my younger brother Josh. He told me when he was 18 years old and he was going off to college that he, was, he had faith. He was going to follow this Jesus and, and try to live how he believed God wanted him to live in college. But he had had no experience of God personally. He said, Caleb, I'm, I believe, but it's pure faith. And I'm going to act and walk this way, but it's pure discipline. I've never encountered God. Or maybe you're like uh, my young life leader in high school who was in his 40s, and he had walked with God for decades. But then he confessed to me and a couple other guys in our little small group that it had been months since he had picked up his Bible and read anything that impacted him. That for whatever reason, this Bible that, that he used to just open up and, and play this game, you know, it's like, boom, and read this verse, and it was like, that's what I needed today. That's, that's it. God just spoke to me. You know, and maybe you've had those experiences. Well, he went through months and months and months where he did this, and he did this study, and he did this study, and nothing. Bone dry. Silent. Maybe, maybe you have had some kind of experience like that. And, and if you haven't, you might. You might in this, in this life's adventure. And if you're in that space now, I want to tell you that you're in good company, that there is nothing new to that. And we're going to talk about how, what to do in these seasons. But let's look first at the fact that this is nothing new. It's been, it, God has withdrawn his presence at times and been silent all throughout human history. Look at uh, Genesis 3.8 in the Old Testament. We get a little glimpse of this for the first time. This is, this is three chapters into the story of humanity, right? And we see that after Adam and Eve had sinned and they had taken that fruit and they had, they had rebelled against God, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. So we have this picture that God not only can hide, but he can be hidden from. So the man and his wife, they, they were able to hide from God, which gives us this, it gives us this image that, that his presence can be absent. He can allow us to withdraw, and he himself can seem like he's not there. Look at this verse in Isaiah 45, 15. It says, truly you are a God who has been hiding himself, the God and Savior of Israel. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, the, the mega prophet, right? He recognized that God hides, not just once, God hides. For whatever reason, he hides himself. You look at the Psalms and you see how David constantly is crying out, God, show me where you are. Answer me. Hear me. I'm desperate for you. Over and over again. That was David, the one who God said is a man after his own heart. God withdrew. There, were, there was a period of 400 years before Jesus was born when God was silent. 400 years. There was another period of 70 years when God's people were exiled in Babylon when God was he was silent. There were 12 different times in the Old Testament that God hid his face from his people. And then look at the New Testament. Even Jesus himself, think about Jesus. The guy was born in obscurity. His whole life was in a way hidden. He was born in Bethlehem. People didn't know, people didn't know or go to Bethlehem if they didn't have to. He was just, the angels just announced his arrival to shepherds, shepherds who the culture did not respect. His resurrection was witnessed only by two women who at the time would not have been trusted by other men in the culture. 
And Jesus himself, in, in, as he walked about, tried it as best as he could to stay low profile. He was continually telling people that said, hey, you're the son of God. He's like, no, 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 let's keep that down. Let's keep that down for now. Or he would do a miracle and he would say, no, 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 don't, don't, go, don't go telling people about that. Jesus tried to stay low profile. And in the kingdom of God, let's look at Matthew 13. Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. He says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planned, planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Stick with me, stick with me here. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it all worked through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. This was fulfilled this was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Do you see this theme? God throughout the Old Testament at times withdraws and hides his face. Jesus intentionally was obscure and hidden. And the kingdom of God is so small, it's easy to miss. It's easy to miss. So for God to seem quiet, even hidden in your life right now, might be uncomfortable, but it is not uncommon. We also know this from Scripture, that when God is silent, this is in your notes, you don't need to be scared. And when God feels distant, you don't have to feel discouraged. Here's a little, uh, here's a little side note. The reality is that God cannot show us the full extent of his presence at any time. He cannot, even, he cannot even show up. He can't let us hear his voice audibly. He can't let us see his full being, or we would just like spontaneously combust. We, we, our physical bodies, we could not even handle it. Look at, uh, look at what Moses says. Moses, God's guy who, just, who led over a million people through, through the desert and was intimate with God. He was desperate for an encounter with God, and he said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So in a sense, God hides the full extent of his presence for our own well-being. Uh, when I was 12 years old, it was, a big, it was a big year. 12 years old was the first time that my parents let me babysit my younger brothers by myself. Right? And, uh, and I was like, groomed for leadership from a young age. I, you know, I had talks with my dad about, hey, you know, you're an older brother now. You've got these two younger guys. They look up to you. They watch everything you do. This is a big responsibility. Uh, you know, captain of little ASO soccer teams, whatever that means to be a captain when you're six. Uh, and, 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 so, and so I just kind of had this in my mind that I am a responsible young leader. I am ready to babysit my brothers. I am ready for, you know, the lack of parental supervision. And so the day came, it was a Saturday afternoon, and my parents had been kind of warming me up to this, kind of practicing, like my mom, like, okay, here's nine, 
one and one. You only dial this in the case of emergency. Emergency equals blood, uh, passing out, can't revive. You know, I don't know what the, that went down, but it was, it was these kind of basic principles. And so this afternoon arrives, and my parents say, okay, Aaron, Josh, those are the younger brothers. Caleb is in charge. He is in charge. When we are gone, you respond to him, and we will be back soon. And then they opened the front door, and they walked out. And I remember standing by the big glass windows by the front door like, this is actually happening. <laughs> and and in my eyes, I think I started to get like this combination of excited and nervous. And I watched them walk down the walkway. Sure enough, they got in the car. Sure enough, it pulled out. And it went down the street. And there was just something that happened inside of me. I was just like, this is awesome. I am amazing. And I was getting ready to turn and like proclaim my dominion over this new land of the house and my brothers. And as soon as I looked, I saw my brother Josh taking a G.I. Joe airplane and flying it into the, to the mountain that was Aaron's forehead and just crash right here in the middle of his forehead. No blood, but tears immediately. And Aaron just screeches out. You know, seven-year-old Aaron starts picking up G.I. Joes and just hucking them at Josh and across the room, breaking whatever he can find in his path to express his anger, and then he runs off to his room. And then Josh starts yelling, and he, start, he just starts messing up things and thinking that he's now in charge. And I, I turned back to the window, and I thought, this is awful. My parents are so irresponsible. I'm a child for crying out loud. This is ridiculous. Where have they gone? Where's Dr. Phil? And in this moment, I just panicked, and I thought, this should not be happening. What I didn't know is that my parents had just driven around the block, (laughs) came, parked on the side street, walked in the side door of the garage, and they were just on the other side of the wall listening to this, right? And and they let it play out. I think my dad probably physically restrained my mom, is, is the reality, but they let it play out. I think the, the screeches, they could tell like no one was dying, and, and so they just let me go, and I comforted Aaron, and then, and then I went out to Josh, and I just said, okay, can you apologize, and this is how we do things. And I learned something that day that I could do this. And as I was preparing this message, I learned something else, that sometimes our parents withdraw their presence for our own good. Sometimes there is purpose in their absence and in their silence. And so perhaps we serve a God who is purposeful in his silence and in his absence as well. So I want to look at a few reasons why God would be silent. Why it would, he would allow it to seem like he has withdrawn himself and is hiding himself from us. The first reason that I want to talk about is silence provides a choice for us to hide from him. And this just goes back to Adam and even Genesis 3, right? His ability to pull back allows us the choice to pull back. And I would suggest to you that some of you that feel like God is distant or you feel disconnected and you think he has withdrawn himself, we need to take a look at whether or not it's actually us who's hiding. And there are three, three places that I want to talk about really briefly here where we go when we hide. The first is rebellion. And rebellion can be overt or it could be subtle. Rebellion can be, okay, 
forget this, this isn't working out, I'm going this way, I want nothing to do with you. Or rebellion can be much more subtle, we can do it in a very different way. One of those ways is through religion. We, it's ironic, but we can hide from God in our religious practices. We can say, hey, I'm doing all the right stuff, right? I put a little money in the box, I show up on a semi-regular basis, I try not to cuss, I try to do nice stuff, so leave me alone. Don't, don't stretch me any further, don't keep this going. Just, aren't you supposed to bless me if I'm doing the right stuff? And we can actually hide from intimacy with God in religion. And I know, friends, I know that there are some of us who haven't heard from God in a very long time, but we're faking it really good. Oftentimes when God withdraws his presence, it's because it's actually us who's hiding. The second reason why God sometimes withdraws his presence is because silence suggests that his timing is best. My parents were waiting to see how I would do in that situation. If I would panic and run out of the house screaming, if I would call 911 because there was noise, or if I would go and begin to comfort my brothers and try to put this thing back together. Silence always and God's timing always seems like it is not our timing. Like it's too late usually, right? He takes us to the point where we're way uncomfortable before he shows up. Or sometimes, when you, when you lose somebody, when someone dies, it seems far too early. But his silence, his, his withdrawing, sometimes is to teach us that his timing is actually the perfect timing. And the third reason why sometimes God seems silent is because silence provokes us to pursue him wholeheartedly. Look at Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Stop there. That is a somewhat familiar verse, right? That verse right there to most of us, to some of us. We hear it, they put it on placards, people talk about it, there's messages about it. But did you notice the verse right before that, right before this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, the one we like to quote, the verse right before that says, I'm gonna be gone and you're gonna be here and I'm gonna be silent for 70 years. We don't quote that one. (laughs) But the reality is there are seasons of silence and then there are seasons when he shows up in a powerful way. And all through that season, he has a plan that is good for us. And it goes on in verse 12. Then you will call on me, and I will come and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Silence provokes us to seek God wholeheartedly. We have a God that listens, and we have a God who promises that when we seek him with all our heart, we will find him, that in his timing, he will show up. This God has purpose to our seasons of struggle. He has purpose to seasons of silence, and in all of that, he has a plan that he is working out for our own good, hoping 
that we will have the courage to continue to trust him with our whole heart and pursue him with our whole heart. So what do we do real practically in these, in these seasons when God is silent? The first thing that I want us to remember and think about is to doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Doubt your doubts, believe your beliefs. Because when he feels withdrawn, our tendency is panic. Our tendency, like my friend from the beginning who had this intimate connection with him and then it seemed like he was quiet, she got all the way to the point where she wondered if God even speaks. Maybe I didn't even hear him in the first place. Because we have this thing in us that we, we want to doubt. I went through a season where God was silent. Now, I had, I had lived this, this life that, you know, was pretty, I don't know, blessed in some ways, I guess. I mean, it, it, it was, I was on this trajectory my whole life. I felt like I never had any huge, huge growth in the Lord, but it was kind of like this steady climb through high school, through college, played, got to, you know, captain of the volleyball team at SC, and I feel like, oh, I'm this cool guy, and then I uh, get up to be a pastor at Saddleback, and I move up there, and then they launch me out and pray for me there that I would be the next guy in the generation, and then I try to start my own organization, and that's when, if you've been here before, you've heard me not so affectionately refer to the season of my quarter-life crisis. That's when, that's when the wheels came off the wagon. And, I, I, and I, I wrecked a marriage. I didn't realize I was doing it, but in several different ways, I just did not do the things that I was supposed to, and I was in complete denial of doing the things that were harmful that I was doing, and she opted out. And when, that, when she opted out of my, you know, the first marriage, my, I, all of a sudden, from this to immediately this trajectory, and I didn't know what to do in that season of life. I had never been there before. It always seemed like God was good. God was blessing. God was nice. I was doing the right stuff. And so we were going in the right direction. And when it all came undone, I didn't know how to live with a silent God. I didn't know how to keep journeying when it felt like I had lost his favor. And he had withdrawn his presence. I didn't know how to do that. And I've made a lot of bad choices, and I've done a lot of dumb stuff. But one thing I did when it just all came down to it, and I had this decision, like, do I just want to chuck it and say, you know, this is too hard. Forget it. I was a pastor. I was trying, at least. I was trying to do the right stuff. I was, I was trying to live for you, and you let this happen to me, this broken marriage. I'm 26 or something. You know, I'm, um, I'm humiliated and and forget it. It's too hard. It's not worth it. Why would, I, why would I do that? But I chose, I just came to this place literally like on my knees and on my face where I just said, okay, but where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do? I'm going to wait for you. So amidst all, you know, the dumb stuff I've done in my life, that's the one thing that I can be proud of is that I just said, there's nothing else. I'll just wait for you to show up again. And it was months, it was months of not hearing, not feeling, just being in pain. And it's been several years. It was several years before I felt like we were making progress again. And here are a few things I just want to share with you, real practical things that I, I learned in that season. I feel like God taught me through others and through pain. 
a few practical things that we can do when God feels silent. The first one is to come out of hiding. I had to recognize that there were, there were ways in which I was hiding in my religious activity. I was hiding behind reputation because people liked me and they thought that I was spiritual. And I was, had these other like hidden issues over here that I didn't talk about and I didn't deal with and I, didn't, I pretended they weren't a big deal. And I had to come out of hiding and say, hey, all right, you've already told me to do some stuff. And so you're silent because I still haven't done it yet. And I had to own that and come out of hiding. So that's my encouragement to you this morning. Ask yourself, is it me? Have I withdrawn? The second thing is just do what you already know to do. Believe your beliefs. Has God already spoken to you about something? And you just haven't done it. Has he already prompted you? Has someone already made you aware of something in your life that you need to pay attention to and you're just refusing to so far? When God seems silent, doubt your doubts, believe your beliefs, do what you already know you need to do. The third thing is to get around others who are seeing and who are hearing from God. There's this story, how many of you read the uh, Chronicles of Narnia or seen the movies that aren't that good? <laughs> the Prince Caspian is one of the books. And in the book Prince Caspian, uh, there's, this, there's this scene, there's this uh, part of the story where Aslan is on one side of this huge ravine. And Lucy and her brothers and sister are on this side. And Lucy, for whatever reason, is the only one who can see Aslan on the other side. And Aslan beckons to her and tells her, come over here and use this path. Because there were two paths. One went this way, one went this way. And as Lucy saw Aslan and saw him point at this path, she, told, she turned to her family and said, I see Aslan, he says to go this way. And brothers look and they go, what are you, crazy? First of all, I have better eyesight than you and I don't see Aslan. Second of all, that path looks like a complete disaster. We are not going that way. It's dark, there's trees, there's hills, there's rocks. It's, you know, a high grade. It's, we're not doing that. We're going this way. This, this path looks, you know, a little bit better. And if you say Aslan's over there, whatever, we got to get to that side anyway. We're going this way. And so they walked this way, and they went this direction for what seemed like an eternity because it ended up being complete devastation. They got all cut up. They got to a point where they couldn't even go any farther. They had to turn around, come back, and they ended up where they started in the beginning. So exhausted, they laid down and went to sleep. And Aslan appeared to Lucy in the middle of the night. And he says, why didn't you come the way I told you? And she goes, I tried. I tried to convince them. I wanted to go that way. And he goes, no, you just, that's the way you got to come. And so she wakes up early, she gets her stuff on, she wakes up her brothers and sister and says, I'm going, and I'm going down the path where Aslan told me. And they're like, well, what do we do? Do we just let her go? All right, we'll go. We'll go with you. And as they went, slowly, person by person, they each started to see Aslan, right? Go with the people who are seeing when you're in this season where you're not feeling that connection, when you're not seeing clearly, when you're not hearing from God, get around people who are. 
Get around people who are going to remind you to believe your beliefs. And the last thing I want to say is to pursue God with reckless abandon. Go after him with your whole heart. There's a story in the Gospels about blind Bartimaeus. There's this guy who was blind his whole life. And he sat out on the, on the street, and the only way that he was able to sustain himself was just by begging. And people had pity on him, and they threw some coins at him. And so he, he sat in his blindness all day, every day, right there. That was his life. But he had heard about this Jesus guy who had come. And there were whispers about him healing people. And he thought, if ever I get the chance, maybe he would heal me. And one day he hears this ruckus in the street. And he thinks, okay, that is abnormal for this little street that I sit on. There are more people coming than usually come here. And then then all of a sudden it's just a frenzy. And there's all kinds of people. And he says, what's going on? What's going on? Tell me what's going on. And someone says, "It's, it's that Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, what? This is it. This is my moment. This is Jesus of Nazareth. And if you know the story, it says that he screamed out at the top of his lungs, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. And people shut him up. They were like, no, 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 no. No, um, quiet down. This, is, this, this guy's busy. <laughs> this guy, you know, there's lots of people. He's on his way to visit somebody important. He doesn't have time for you right now. Shut, 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 shut. But Jesus heard him, and Jesus came back to see Bartimaeus. He healed his eyes. And the first person that this blind Bartimaeus ever saw in his whole life was the face of Jesus. Friends, if you are in a season when it feels like your prayers aren't getting through the ceiling, forget about what it looks like. Forget about what people may think. Forget about your pride and your dignity and what rational people do in Orange County and just cry out to this God with reckless abandonment because he might just be waiting for you to pursue him wholeheartedly. What else is there? I know that for some of you in this room, you're going through a painful season. And I just want to pray for you right now. Some of you, some of you may even never really have seen Jesus' face for the first time. Like my brother at 18 going off to college. Sheer discipline. I believe, but I, I've never seen him. I've never heard from him. I just want to pray for wherever you are on the spectrum. Severe pain, just feeling dry, faking it in this religious exterior because you haven't talked to God in a long time. Or if you're just there and you're, you're, you just need that first touch, you just need that first word, and then you're, you're on board. Can I just pray for you? Will you close your eyes and will you just receive and cry out to God in your own way, given your situation? God, we are desperate for you. We don't need to hear from speakers. We don't need to hear from pastors. We need to hear from you. Would you show up? Would you speak to us? Would you show us your face? Would you give us a new sense of hope in this life of adventure that you are always present, that you are always here, that you hear every prayer, and that you might just be waiting for the perfect time before you show up in a big way? Would you give us peace? And for some of my brothers and sisters here, would you, 
would you just show yourself to them in a powerful way, maybe for the first time in their lives? That they can have an encounter with you that is so real that they never forget it and they never turn from you and that they believe for every day forward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just sit for a minute in the quiet, in silence, before Jairus and the band lead us. And just let's, let's just invite God to show up in some way.